Back here on Sports Medicine Weekly, net proceeds from our show, Sports Medicine Weekly, go to support orthopedic research at Rush through the liveactivenow.org fund. I'm Steve Cashel with Dr. Brian Cole. And Dr. Cole, time now for our staple the show, Ask the Doctor segment. If you've got a question for Dr. Cole, just go to our website, sportsmedicineweekly.com, and on our homepage, click underneath the picture of Dr. Brian Cole on the right side of that homepage, and you could ask a question. Got some good ones today to share with you, Dr. Cole. First one is from Joe C. asking you this. How do I know, Dr. Cole, when I can take the splint off of my mallet finger? I'm skittish about doing this until it's fully healed. And he adds, what type of exercises should I do for it? Well, sure. Okay, so what is a mallet finger? A mallet finger is when the tendon on top of a finger, as it inserts into the end bone, the distal, which means end phalanx, the small bone of the finger, gets pulled off or a vulster pulled off. It can come off tendon only or it can come off with a piece of bone. How's it happen? It's typically a uh, forced flexion injury. It could be caught in a jersey. Uh, it's a very traumatic injury that maybe doesn't dislocate the digit but literally stresses the tendon and it pulls off with or without a piece of bone. And you get a drop at the fingertip. So because the extensor tendon, the tendon that extends or straightens the finger, pulls off the bone, the finger just drops and you can't actively extend it. The treatment is often non-surgical, but it requires religious wearing of a splint. A st- we call it a stack splint. And we get this, I've seen this in the NBA, and the problem is that you you, you got to let it heal. And if you take the splint off and let the finger drop back down, all that healing, like your biceps on your front of your arm, I tell you, six, eight weeks. It takes six, eight weeks for things to get sticky enough that hold in place. So if you take the splint off and the finger drops, you just lose all that time. Now, if you want to take the splint off and rest your finger on a table and not let it drop and not challenge it in the first six, eight weeks, that's fine. All this being said, you know, this is the kind of advice I don't like to give on the radio. you got to ask your hand doctor who's following you. I assume you have a hand surgeon who's giving you advice. But generally, a mallet finger where the extensor tendon is pulled off is at least six to eight weeks in a splint, uh, sometimes longer than you protect it for sports. If you want to do exercise for it, you've got, again, you got to be careful. you got to protect the last part of your finger because if you start to exercise it too early because you're, for example, worried of getting stiff or you're trying to test it to see if it's working, you run the risk of rewinding the clock for all that time you just spent over those six to eight weeks uh, trying to get the thing to heal. Uh, again, caveat, read the small print. Please ask your hand surgeon. All righty, good stuff. Our next Ask the Doctor question comes from Tyla. And I fe- I'm picturing a uh, younger woman here saying this, I have been dealing with knee pain, Dr. Cole. I was told multiple different things like I overused or I sprained it or I have weak quads. While cheerleading, it gives, in words, causing pain and sometimes swelling. What do I do so I can return this next season without a sleeve on my knee? So, you know, being a doctor is fun because you get to be a detective. So this is a simple sentence, but there's a lot there. She doesn't report a trauma, right? Because she's been told it's maybe all overuse and she's a cheerleader and so forth. Uh, So the importance of that is that the likelihood of her tearing anything major, meniscus, a ligament, ACL, and so forth is very, very low. However, she reports swelling, and swelling in a young person is a concern, in my opinion, needs to be investigated. So if 
and you have to always, I always ask a patient, why, how do you know you're swollen? Because their perception of swelling may not be real swelling. But if an individual who is active, like this young lady who is having a swollen knee, she needs to get that property evalu- properly evaluated to see if there's any obvious source of swelling. And in that situation, if the x-ray is normal, I will often get an MRI. If there is no swelling and it's generalized knee pain and there's no injury, these are things that do respond favorably to a proper exercise program. Um, and that is usually core strengthening, glute media strengthening, hamstrings, uh, flexibility, correcting any imbalance between the quadriceps and the hamstrings. These are more common in girls and women than men just because the way women are built, they have broader pelvises and they tend to be more knock-kneed. But anterior knee pain, pain in the front of an individual's knee without trauma or swelling is almost always a pretty benign, uh, uh, low-level thing that can be solved with exercise. However, if you truly have swelling, even if you had an event, a major trauma, I would say that's something you definitely want to get evaluated by an orthopedic surgeon. Okay, question number three here in our Ask the Doctor segment as I continue with Dr. Brian Cole. I'm Steve Cashel. Uh, comes from Jimmy in Downers Grove. And sim- simple question here, and I think about this one quite often as well, Dr. Cole, with my two boys who are 14 years old and 12 years old. And Jimmy asking this, would weight training affect a 16- and 12-year-old's growth? So, you know, this is, I would say, an unfortunate myth that uh, just continues to be propagated. And I would tell you that... Um, weight training, strength, conditioning, resistance training is fine for kids, even with open growth plates. Like any responsible exercise program, you know, we have to be, it should be done under supervision. Uh, you can get injured whether your growth plates are open or not. Uh, but I would submit to you that kids can lift weights. Uh, and in fact, it's supported by the American College of Sports Medicine and the American Academy of Pediatrics as well as the National Strength and Conditioning Association. So they do support children's participation in appropriately designed strengthening, supervised strength training programs. They say what what um, age well, it can begin, you know, anything I, you think? So look, it can go down to uh, open growth plates, 8, 10, 11, 12 years old, but it's got to be done responsibly because I, I don't think there's any data that shows you're going to injure a growth plate with responsible lifting. Okay. But this is not clean and jerks and Olympic lifting and things of that nature. Res- resistance training can build muscle mass in virtually any individual in any age, right? I think the key issue is doing things with proper periodicity, in other words, frequency, uh, cross-training, super important, giving yourself time to recover. Nutrition is really important. As we work out and do strength and conditioning, we break down muscle. If you don't have insufficient, if you have insufficient protein intake, for example, that's a problem for recovery. So recovery is not only rest and even considering cross-training, but it's also proper nutrition and building up what's been broken down. So I think you got to do it responsibly. It's not in itself unsafe, but it can be unsafe in any age group, open growth plates or not. Growth plates are an interesting subject. When do they stop growing? When do the growth plates kind of, kind of, what do we say? They uh, finally close? Well, in general, uh, girls' uh, growth plates will close before boys. Okay. Okay. Um, you can use some things like what we call secondary sex characteristics, which is armpit hair, pubic hair, things like that to help designate when someone's going to stop growing. Really? The best way to tell is by specific x-rays if someone really wants to know. But uh, girls will be in this neighborhood of, say, you know, 14 to 16, and boys can even grow, I think, even upwards of 20 years old. Um, um, but you, you have some cues. When, when, cues. when a girl, for example, has her period, sometimes growth is done within one to two years of that period, for example. They may not grow more than one or two inches. It's tougher to predict in boys just by certain 
certain metrics. Um, uh, but in general, girls will close before boys in terms of their growth plates. Uh, and you can, you, and the, but it can be difficult to predict. And the best way to know when it's going to happen uh, is through X-ray, and you can just do it with the hand of the wrist. Keep in mind, though, the growth plates around the body close at different times. They don't all just close at once. So you can have these satellite growth plates open in kids who are 20, say, along the collarbone or the sternum or things like that, when their knee growth plates will be closed. The elbow has lots of growth plates. We get fooled all the time when we're evaluating the athlete's elbow uh, because we say, well, that looks like a fracture or so forth when the growth plates are still open. So I see that a lot in little leaguers, for example. Give me another interpretation of, uh, of growth plates. Is it just when the bone stops growing? No, a growth plate is how bones grow. So a growth plate is actually a cartilage uh, wafer of tissue between the two bones, the end of the bone and the upstream part of the bone. And it's clear on x-ray because it isn't calcified yet, but it's where some of our longitudinal growth occurs through. So it's through, you know, it starts when we're, you know, in the, in, in the embryo, those are really important areas for growth. And it's how we get longitudinal growth and even width of bones can grow through the growth plates. So they're just a very metabolically active part of our bones at the ends of the bones that are responsible for growth. But some bones don't necessarily grow that much longer and so forth. And those have minimal, you know, uh, contribution from a growth plate. And, you know, our femur, our, our thigh bone and so forth really dependent upon the growth plate itself. How about when someone says, well, I have a, or Dr. Cole will diagnose me as a fracture within that growth plate? Is that really critical and serious and yeah, bad? Yeah, it can be. It can be depending on the nature of the fracture. There's a grading system. And if it's a low-grade fracture, sort of what we call a grade one where you can't even pick it up on x-ray but maybe just MRI, those generally do okay, but if you have a displaced fracture of a growth plate, that can lead to growth plate arrest. It can lead, meaning the growth just stops, and it can lead to the development of an angular deformity, whereas part of the growth plate will grow, the other part is arrested or doesn't grow, and then they develop an angular deformity. They'll becoming knock-kneed, or I see in the elbow, kids who get these elbow fractures, they show up and they have what we call a carrying angle where the elbow floats to the outside by 15, 20, 30 degrees. It's really... Uh, uh, disruptive to uh, even activities of daily living. Out of time. Thanks, Dr. Cole. Appreciate it. Great seeing you again. Many thanks to our producer, Shane Reardon. Our coordinating producer is Teresa Ann Seeger. Also want to thank David Cole for managing our website and our business operations. And there's Samantha Smith from Midwest Orthopedics at Rush. Thanks so much to Sam for all her help. For Dr. Brian Cole, I'm Steve Cashel saying so long. Thanks for listening to Sports Medicine Weekly here on 670 The Score. Up next on The Score, Early Odds with Joe O'Shea. Strowski. Talk with you again next week. Take care.